Hi, I'm Matthew Robertson. Welcome to Momentum Men, a podcast dedicated to exploring and promoting men's mental well-being. Having been personally affected by this subject and shocked by the statistics around it, I wanted to explore and try and dismantle the stigma attached to men's mental well-being. We will be featuring a diverse array of inspiring guests from around the globe. They will be sharing their personal experiences, advice and perspectives on the subject. I really hope you find these podcasts as insightful and empowering as I have creating them. I am absolutely humbled to have Claire Milford Haven on today's podcast. She is quite simply an inspiration and a force for good. I came across Claire's story while researching for Momentum Men. After tragically losing her son to suicide, Claire bravely took this tragedy as motivation and launched an incredible charity for men struggling with mental health. Claire made it her mission to raise awareness and create a place of hope for men in crisis. To date, her charity, James's Place, has treated over 1,500 men, delivering over 7,500 therapy sessions. She has opened centres in London and Liverpool, with Birmingham, Bristol and Newcastle opening in the next three years. Claire has such a moving and inspirational story. I can't wait to explore her journey further. Claire. First and foremost, thank you so much for taking the time to come on. Um, I have been sort of saddened, empathy, but also extraordinarily um, touched and humbled by what you've achieved um, with your charity. We'll just go a little bit further. Um, We'll go back and then go forwards again. But I just... um, that was one of the reasons, really the main reason why I, I came to you. I sort of found um, your charity and started to read and, and, and dig a bit deeper. And the more I read, the more I was fascinated. And, and I thought, gosh, what out of something so, so desperate and sad that something really beautiful and inspirational can come. And I think that's a real testament to you as an amazing woman and, and everybody that works with you. Gosh, what an amazing thing. Thank you. Um, so one of the reasons or the first question I really wanted to ask you was sort of why did you agree to come on here? Because I'd like to talk about the work that we do at James's Place. I think it's really important to to talk about the valuable work that is being done at our centres. And I think it's important to be open and and raise awareness about the the problem of suicide in this country and in many other countries, and particularly in men. Um, and the, if we keep quiet about it, nothing gets achieved and people don't know. <clears throat> men don't know that they can access help and they don't know that they can actually overcome these dark thoughts that they're experiencing. So from my point of view, I'm really happy to do interviews um, because it can only do do good for the, for, our, well, for for what we're doing. It can only spread the word. Well, I, I'm, and I'm hugely grateful, as I'm sure everybody that's listening um, will be as well. How did James's place start? What was the the intention or or the drive to do something here? So, if we go back uh, to to what happened, that's probably the best place to start. So, I. I was very lucky. I had three beautiful children and James was my eldest. And 
I had James when I was quite young. I had him when I was 24. So um, I always felt that James and I were on a kind of journey together, growing up journey together. And we were very close. And I felt I knew James like the back of my hand. He was always very open. <clears throat> Sometimes I felt sort of almost too open. And um, But when he was 21 and he was studying up at Newcastle Uni and he was studying business and Spanish, he was fluent in Spanish, um, probably preferred Spanish to business, but uh, he was enjoying his time, his second year up in Newcastle. Um, but he had a, a, an issue that bothered him that he wanted to uh, correct, which was a physical issue. He had something called a varicocele on, on one of his um, testicles, and he wanted to have it corrected. So he was 21, and so I said, listen, this is your decision. It's entirely up to you. It's, you know, if it, it sounds like it's very straightforward. It sounds like it's a quite a common thing to have done. And um, if you are, you know, happy to have it done, it's your choice, James. And so he decided to have this done. And up until this point, we had never had a day in our lives where we worried about James. I think I need to stress that. <clears throat> we never had, um, I never thought, oh, well, James ought to go and talk to somebody. He's got some issues. Uh, he was that sort of classic sporty, funny, not Jack the Lad, but he was he was great. You know, he was very popular. And I, I never had any real concerns about him. He seemed to be very popular with the girls too. So he just, he sort of had the world at his feet. So when he talked about this operation, I said, you know, if you want to do it, do it. So he did it. And this was where the problem started. Uh, when he came round from his operation, he he was fine and he said he didn't want to come home. I said, why don't you come home and rest for a bit? He said he wanted to go back up to Newcastle. He had some exams. Uh, he had to sit and he said he was fine. And so I respected his wishes and I said, that's, that's fine if you want to do that. <clears throat> it's up to you, James. But, um, you know, operations can take, even though it was a very quick operation, it can take a lot out of you. And anaesthetics can also. But he insisted. So he off he went. And during those days after the operation, he just kept calling me and he seemed very concerned and very um, not himself. He just was like, I, I don't know if I've done the right thing. And maybe I can have this reversed. And I said, look, just give it time. Calm down. Um, everything will be fine. Anyway, uh, 10 days later, he came home. So this is early December 2006. And so he came home on about the 14th of December. We had family members staying. It was like a pre-Christmas get-together. <clears throat> and um, he wasn't right, I could tell. Uh, he wasn't right. But I didn't know it was all connected to this operation. But I, he just looked tired. He looked pale. He looked white. 
uh, he looked just not himself. So when he got home, I rang the doctor. I told James to go into another room and I rang our GP and I said, I don't know. I don't know what's going on with James, but he's not right. Ever since he had this procedure, he's he's feel it's almost like he's depressed. He's he's very anxious. He's very depressed. Seems depressed. Um, I don't really know what's going on. <clears throat> so the doctor said that um, James could go and see the surgeon and get some reassurance. And I said that's a brilliant idea. And he said if he wants to go tomorrow, and that would be. The Friday, and I said I ran into James. I said that we can go and see the the specialist, the surgeon tomorrow, uh, if you like. And he said, no, no, no. Let's go on Monday. Let's we've got the whole weekend with all the family. Let's let's go on Monday. So I respected his wishes and said to the GP, it's all right. We'll go on on the Monday. So that was all kind of organised. And then my GP said, look, if he gets worse, we'll put him on some antidepressants. Um, you know, young men of James's age, they can get very anxious about this sort of thing. And um, so just just keep an eye on him. And if he gets worse, you know, he'll probably get some reassurance from the from the surgeon. But if he if he gets worse, we'll we'll get some medication. So that all seemed to be a good plan. Um, and I was observing him during those sort of that time. And I could tell, you know, he seemed anxious. I could see he was sweating at times. Just behavior that was like all the kids went to the pub on the Thursday night and he just dropped them off and came home. That wasn't James. He would always go to the pub with 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 everyone. Um, and then the following day, we were all at home and then we, we drove to his dad's house, which is about um, two hours from here. And we were going to spend the weekend with his dad and his dad's family. And it, everyone was looking forward to it. It was a big family get together. And we drove, he was in one car with his brothers, two brothers. And I was in another car with my husband and our two girls. And within half an hour of getting to, to his dad's, um, James had taken his own life. And that was, that was it. There was no, it was like, I, 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 I can't really describe how horrendous and shocking and life-changing uh, this, this event was. It's, it was something none of us saw coming. We, I thought we had some time to get things straighter in his head. I had 10 days after the operation to, I mean, how could I have possibly known? He never mentioned he felt suicidal. He never, I never asked him, but I, I didn't cross my mind. And so that, that, that day, December the 15th, 2006, um, that changed my life and my family's life forever. And, um, and that's why we set up James's place, because we didn't want any other family going through what we went through. 
we we just wanted to to stop it happening to others and that was the background to the charity thank you for sharing that i mean i uh, i you know we've had lots of people on these podcasts with all kinds of different stories and in their own way, just uh, some traumatic and some joyous. Um, I I think it's interesting, isn't it? When you were talking about, you know, before um, this happened, that you would really have no reason to believe anything was wrong. And it seems to be, that that is one of the biggest things that comes up with this subject matter, that whether it be depression, anxiety, somebody that's potentially suicidal, that there's no there's no book, is there? There's no mm-hmm. manual. It's like how to be a parent. You know, you kind of got to just put your best foot forward and mm-hmm. hope that you're doing the best you can and, and the morals and everything have, will play out well. Um, so, so, like you were saying, it seems that life before this was, was, you know, really good, pretty, pretty. I mean, when I say normal, I mean a teenager, you know, apart from being slightly obnoxious and probably not doing what they're told, but that's mm. fairly normal. But uni girlfriend, handsome, driven, you mm. know, everything would suggest everything is rock and roll and all good. Yeah, I mean, it was. It was just. I mean. No one could believe it. No one could believe that somebody who had so much zest for life and literally sort of, I mean, it sounds like a cliche, but he did light up the room and he was always, like I say, he was so funny. He was so good at imitating people. And um, he was just, yeah, he he was, but, you know, (laughs) You never know what the trigger is for somebody. This was his trigger. This was his, you know, maybe there had been some stuff brewing with with a relationship, but it wasn't something, that wasn't the trigger. It was the, the operation was like the trigger. And it's never really one thing from what I've under, I understand and from what I've learned through talking about this subject for the last 17 years nearly. Um, it's not normally just one thing that sets somebody on this horrendous uh, spiral. It's, it's, it's a, a combination of things that create the perfect storm and create this sort of personal catastrophe. And that's, that's what happened with James. And, I remember talking to another parent um, who had lost a son in a in a similar way, and he said that when the police arrived at the front door of his of his house to tell him and his wife that his son had been found dead, he said they may as well have thrown a grenade through the front door because that is the sort of effect this has. It is absolutely catastrophic. And, you know, there's no, as as you were saying anyway, there's no kind of handbook for this. 
there's no preparation. Also, you, you are never prepared to lose your child. You are prepared to lose your parents and potentially a friend or sibling. But to lose a child is something that we are not. It's not the natural course of events so we are not prepared for it at all and particularly I you know I know it's so tough for, for a father but for a mum who's carried that child for nine months and you know nurtured that child and fed that child it feels you feel like a failure you feel like I, I felt like such a failure to have lost my eldest child in this way um, so you know, you, you can take it so personally, you can feel all that guilt. And, but, you know, at the end of the day, beating yourself up about it, 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 it was his choice, you know, it was his choice to leave us, it, or to leave this world. It was, I know that he loved us. He knew that he was loved. Um, it's not about that. It's about, an impulsive act, a, you know, a, a, a permanent solution to a temporary problem. And so I guess, you know, when we set up the charity, um, which was 18 months after James died, we decided to set up a fund. It wasn't actually James's place at that stage. It was a memorial fund in his name. And we decided to raise money and to donate that money to existing charities who are working in this field of suicide prevention. And we wanted to, I think we also wanted to understand what we could do to, to stop suicide in young people, young men in particular, obviously that was our, our area. Um, but we also wanted to learn through funding research and, and, and other projects so we did, as you as you kindly said in the beginning, we, we, we did something really positive out of something very negative. And we've created something in James's name, which means that we can we can talk about James every day, actually, which is which is wonderful. But we talk about him in the context of the charity. We talk about him in the context of James's place, which is so much easier, if that makes any sense. It makes a lot of sense. <laughs> I, I also think what you were saying is, as, and I can only imagine, um, as, as a parent, you know, the, the, there's this feeling of, you know, could I have done more? And there was a time in my life that, you know, I also took a very lonely road. And I, it's, it's, if I look back now, I don't think anybody would have changed that outcome because it's like you're in a tunnel yeah, and you're walking almost, for me, it was like uh, a bit, a bit like a zombie, you know, it just, just sort of uh, anything could have happened around me, but the, this, this was my intent. And I think one of the things that I wanted to touch on as well, which, and for the grace of God, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't do that. And, um, and I'm still here. And, and one of the major motivations for me wanting to do something positive to help others is, is there's, 
I, you know, I, I, I'm trying to word this the right way is that um, that that somebody that might be thinking about this that that what you leave behind you know is is devastating for others but it's really important that i think that 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 person needs to know that everyone around them just loves them so much mm-hmm. and you can talk um and I, I wonder whether you know from 2006 to to where we are today that your learnings and, and that I'm trying to find the right words here because it's a, such a tricky subject that is what, what maybe what are some of those learnings that you've seen from your side that you know because I don't know that anybody could have helped me even the person that loved me the absolute most would have ever stopped if I kept going in that direction that that would have stopped that that is there things from your findings over that that period of time and stories that you've heard from sessions um that you know that may may sort of strike a chord with somebody that's not in a great place hmm. i think i think often it's not it's really hard to tell your loved ones the person that you're closest to how you're feeling because you don't want to hurt them you don't want to scare them um and that's why i think it's so much better to to talk to someone that is like we provide at james's place that is fully trained uh that is a therapist that is somebody who has heard this before and knows that it's actually it's quite it's quite common you know that's the thing if if perhaps if james had said to me mom i i feel so bad i feel like taking my own life i i i would have had to stay so calm and i would have i mean knowing what i know now i i would know how to react but if he told me then i i would have panicked i would have i don't know what i would have done i would have gone into a, a tailspin and but now I would have dealt with it very differently because I would have I would have asked him to speak to me, of course, but I would have said, listen, this I know what maybe there's a lot of very personal stuff, James, that you don't want to share with your mum. That's fine. I totally get that. So let's let's find you someone now that you can share that that stuff with that you're comfortable sharing those details with that's totally confidential that won't compromise a relationship or friendship. Um, Yeah. So I think, and I think, you know, to, to, to sort of go back to the charity, um, you know, as I said, we started as a fund, but James's place came out of me reflecting on James's experience. So what, what, what I didn't know, none of us knew was that he'd gone to look for help up in Newcastle because he felt so anxious. He'd actually, I don't believe that James wanted to die because he went looking for help. And the, 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 the tragedy is that he, he couldn't find the right help. So he was very, like I said, he was very open. He said, um, 
I have the piece of paper from the walk-in center. He said um, he was feeling very anxious about a recent operation and he felt suicidal. But he was sent on his own to A&E. And that was just the wrong that was the wrong thing to do. And he was sent as a low priority. And he and yet he just told the the, the the staff member at the walk-in center that he felt like killing himself. So that is a high priority. So it was all it just the whole process was he was signposted to nowhere. He the whole process was wrong and badly handled, and we weren't contacted. And his GP, whose telephone number they had, he wasn't contacted. So all of these things, had they been done correctly, I believe could have saved his life. And had James didn't need to go to A&E. He needed to go and talk to somebody who, who he felt comfortable talking to. Do you think it's interesting that a friend of mine's a doctor and they said, you know, throughout my whole learnings and, you know, seven plus years of learning to be a doctor, they teach you about trauma, but blunt force trauma, but they never teach you about psychological trauma. And how many men and women come into um, surgeries and say they're depressed or they're anxious and the default is a pill. Yeah. And, you know, that's what I got. And I tell you, the the pill doesn't work. I mean, no. it does for some. And I don't want to. I don't want to discredit this. I'm not a doctor, and I'm not an expert in this. But all I can say is from personal experience that, you know, you're putting a bandage on a very deep wound. Mm. Um, and and for me, um, interestingly, that you were saying um, that generally it's a culmination of things mm. that gather momentum to a point where you get to tipping point and that's when you enter that sort of tunnel of excuse my French but holy shit mm. you know I can't see a way out I can't sure. keep listening to this noise and wake up and feel the same way and a, a pill to me I didn't feel happy I didn't feel, feel sad I didn't feel anything and mm. I just said but this isn't a life either and what happens when this stops working? What do they do? Give me a stronger one. And then what happens when that stops working? They give me another stronger one. I mean, this isn't a solution. And, you know, for James to be sent to A&E and, you know, I, I have a huge amount of respect for the NHS and I would never say anything bad, but I think it's kind of, a, well, it just says how desperate the situation is anyway, doesn't it? If, if they, that's the default, yeah. we'll send them to A&E. The A&E is like, well, are you bleeding? No. Uh, is something broken? No. It's exactly. my head. It's like, well, we can fix it if there's something physical that I can see and fix. Otherwise, I, I don't know what to do with you. I'm sorry. You know, and it's kind of not their fault, but it doesn't help. It's like for James and I'm sure many others that it's well, where the hell do I go? I'm not sure I feel comfortable enough to talk to mom or dad or brother or sister or friend or girlfriend. I mean, because especially for men, I feel this misplaced stoicism and pride and ego that, you know, damn it, I've got to be strong. I must be strong. I mustn't show weakness because that's what we're told as we grow up, be strong, man up, et cetera, et cetera. Um, 
But I just think in a, in a situation like this, I think for me, and I'm sure for others, you're reaching for something that isn't available. And, uh, you know, and if I had to be definitive about what that would have been, if I had on hard, I'm not even really sure. But maybe it was just somebody, I think I think I do know. And, and for me, I just wanted somebody to put their hand on my back, a warm hand, and say to me, it's going to be okay. I've been there. Mm. And then it's a voice of authority, isn't it? Oh, you, you've been there. You know what this feels like? Holy shit. And it will be okay? Yeah. Ah, oh, wow. So, so what do you think? What do I do now? Then, you know, imagine if, I mean, you know, if that had been a situation that James had, could, could have got hold of. It's a different scenario, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it is. And, and that you will get through this. Because mm. I think, you know, when you look at the, at the triggers, uh, whether it's a relationship breakdown or debt or losing your job or losing your home or a difficult custody battle, whatever it, it is that is taking you to this or the combination of factors that is taking you to this point, you need to feel that it, you yourself, you're so in it, you're so in that tunnel and you can't see the way out. But if you can talk to someone who can reassure you and say, you know, I've been here or I've talked to other people who've been where you are and you will get through this. And you talked to, you just spoke, Matthew, about putting a bandage or a plaster on a wound. And in a way, you need to take the plaster off. You need to open that wound in order for it to heal. You need to air, you need to air it. You need to, um, well, the method that, that, that we use in our intervention, intervention at James's place is called lay your cards on the table. You need to lay your cards on the table. You need to be, you need to get it out because when it's inside you, it's festering and it's boiling and it's toxic. It's just dragging you down and you need to get it out of you and you need to share it. And you need to, and that does make you feel better. I mean, 100% it does. It's just, I think, you know, suicidal thoughts are so dark and are so, um, maybe they're very difficult to articulate. And and also they come and go, you know, they're not omnipresent. They sort of, they shift and they mutate. And I think it's it's about finding that person, finding that place, but there are, there are people and there are places. And by the way, I'm not knocking A&E because I mean, A&E is fabulous for physical trauma. It's, it's amazing. And yes, A&E does have crisis teams who can help uh, people in a crisis, but they are very overstretched as we know. And I think it's more, for me, it's more the environment of A&E it's so hectic. It's so kind of, it, it, no one wants to go to A&E because it's so like full on hectic. Even uh, if you're bleeding, you know, even if you're bleeding, like, oh. you know, yeah. and I've been there a few times for some, a few tumbles, but it's, it's one thing if we're being put back together physically, but 
to put you back together mentally in any is not going to happen so you you need that calm space you need you need that place where you can as a man you can put the stoicism aside and you can cry or you can do whatever say whatever you want to say you you need to do that in a very very sort of i feel a very unique environment very peaceful calm environment which is what we've created at james's place because i from my own personal experience of of sort of the trauma after losing james um i needed a calm environment in order to get my own head somehow back together i i couldn't stand being in any sort of busy environment i just needed i just wanted to hide the whole time and i think if you're in a calm space it make it makes you feel calmer and it helps you to sort of gather your thoughts and start to unravel uh the toxic thoughts and 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 helps you to to sort of start to piece it all together again and get and get better I've got a great friend of mine who is a very spiritual mindful guy just just a solid human you know um and you know I I would speak to him when I was in distress and is pretty much the only person because he was sort of you know people perceive a little bit out there but you know super nice guy um had a normal job in advertising etc um and he said to me look you know, I got a few people that have spoken to me now, which is interesting because people are gravitating towards me. I want to create this um, thing called Magic Men. Um, would you, would you like to join me? And and I said, well, oh, you know, what 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 are you talking about? And he's like, well, it's only going to be about six of us. We'll do it on a Zoom call. And this was also during COVID. Um, and he said, um, we're just going to sit there, and I'll own it. I'll own the meeting, and I'll invite people to talk. If you don't want to, you don't have to. And it was, I was like, well, you know, um, okay. And, uh, you know, I've had some mates that have been through AA and things like that. And they said, it's like when you first go, it's like back of the room. God's sake, don't talk to me. You know, I'll just hide behind the chair. And that's the person they immediately go to, right? Because they know that guy's (laughs) going to probably bolt if we don't get hold of him quickly. And, uh, And I think the biggest realization for me throughout this thing and it was only a one-off thing he did um but something i'm hopefully implementing into momentum men as well is that there was this solidarity instant solidarity i was looking around and you're thinking oh you know nobody's going to understand and i think that's one of the problems with depression and sadness and all this is you feel very alone like nobody else is like me nobody's got problems like me etc etc and then one by one as everybody spoke it started to come out and it was just like, you know, a lot of it was divorce. A lot of it has losing their children, not, you know, um, through, uh, death or anything like that, but through a divorce going, the kids been going the other way. Um, and you know, the world being turned upside down and I had a lot of that too. So, um, one of my biggest issues or, you know, troubles was that. So, when I started to hear that, it was like, oh, well, that's exactly how I feel. And then the next guy would say, oh, you know, da 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 I was like, wow, well, that's exactly how I feel. Oh, my God, so I'm not the only one. 
Well, it, you know, it was <laughs> in a way it was I was happy that they were sad because I could relate to it. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It sounds awful, but you know, it, it was there was this commonality, and yeah. I think and I could see everybody with a sort of it was cathartic to to to, to dump this information, but it felt like in a very safe place where because everyone was in the same headspace that everybody was kind of feeding off each other a bit and and that was wonderful and it's one of the things i want to create within momentum men is sort of almost like a, a live forum mm. where i invite people to talk it doesn't matter if there's two people or 50,000 obviously you can't speak to them all but i think allowing somebody the space to be able to talk even if it's anonymously um is is something that's that I think I was searching for but couldn't find. Yes, I think there is great comfort in in this sort of solidarity and meeting people who have experienced or are experiencing similar trials and tribulations. And <clears throat> actually, one of the, after James died, you know, my friends tried their level best to help me and my family as well. But it wasn't until I met other parents who'd lost children in the same way that I actually felt, oh, my God, I finally met someone who understands mm. what I'm thinking and what's going on. And as I say, it wasn't that nobody else wasn't trying their utmost to help me. It's just they didn't they didn't get it. They didn't get the there's so much that sort of happens and you know it, it's 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 a combination of of spirituality of of it challenges everything something like this and I remember having some very kind of bizarre experiences which I felt if I told my friends or my family they'd think I'd lost the clock but when I told other parents they said oh yeah well I remember when this happened and and you could have this rather like you were saying we had this kind of forum where we could discuss things um and everyone knew how the other person felt and it just felt it was so reassuring and and i think so i think what you're proposing is a really is a really good idea because there'll be a lot of men out there who will feel totally comfortable in that sort of male forum and that they'll feel comfortable to to talk about their stuff in a in a very open way which is what they need to do absolutely and and i'm you know it's definitely something that's going to happen and and i'm surrounding myself with people that are you know uh, very good in the subject matter and and sort of better than i am i mean i'm 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 an inquisitor and and and, and curious and you know, because I think you you don't ever stop learning in life, and and I think one of the reasons I was super keen to speak to you a little bit deeper is just you you have a wealth of experience that I think so many could benefit from. And I, I wonder if is there during you know this period, um, and uh, through uh, James's place is. Have have you seen, or, or through discussion with therapists, is there a commonality? Do you think um, that keeps cropping up? You know, is there a, is there 
is is it a certain thing or a signal or a situation that seems to be where people are getting triggered by whether it's financial whether it's um potential relationship issues or it's just depression or i don't know i i mean do you see some commonality there yes so we've done um an, an academic academic evaluation of our service and we know that the biggest triggers are well the biggest trigger is relationship breakdown that's mm. something that throws we always think that it's women who get super affected, but it actually it it affects both sexes equally. And so relationship breakdown is one of the top ones. Um, then there's money worries, uh, debt, there's family problems, there's, um, I mean, gambling is a huge issue. Uh, then you get really? drugs and alcohol. Yeah, gambling has, has really crept into the mix. Um, and then you get obviously drug and alcohol issues, but the the top one is is relationship breakdown. And How do you, you know, no, and it, it doesn't really surprise me because I think when you feel rejected by somebody, it can just feel so. It can it can make you just crumble all your self-belief suddenly becomes um, something so fragile it's like smashing a glass on the floor it just it, it, when you're rejected it's it's a really awful awful feeling so I I understand how that can tip someone over the edge absolutely I mean I, you, <laughs> I've just recently gone through the same thing but I think um I think for myself now being sort of slightly more uh, emotionally intelligent about these things now is, is being able to decompartmentalize it, recognizing that, you know, some people just aren't, you may love each other desperately, but are just ultimately not compatible. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's, there's a definite real sadness in there. And mm -hmm. it's, it's hard to sort of pull yourself out of that. Um, and I think if, uh, people that are listening to this that are, that you know if it it's obviously scaled if you're in a in a marriage that's mm. you know beyond a certain period you know because there's a sense of failure in that too that why couldn't I have made that work you know I certainly had that at the time that god you know what more could I have done maybe I didn't do enough maybe I didn't do done too much I don't know you're reaching again um and again I think you know it's it's it is it's sort of probably a life problem isn't it because it's if it's happened now you know it may well happen again as well and i think you know sort of being burned a few times you start to sort of you know you start to get a bit tougher about it all don't you you know you, yeah i think you, you do to... i think you do start to get tougher and but the trouble is you mustn't close your heart. So mm. you've got to kind of have that resilience, I guess. Um, but, but also, you know, life is for living and for loving. And, and if you close your heart because you've been burnt, then it's, it's a, it, you know, then you never, you feel you can never trust someone or 
I don't know. I think I think your gut instinct is a very very strong indicator of of what's right and what's wrong, and and maybe trying not to. I don't know. When it comes to love, maybe try not to fall too heavily. Trying to sort of keep something back. Yeah. Not putting all your eggs in one basket, keeping something back just because, like a safety blanket. But it's interesting, you know, because that was one of my traits. I don't want to get too deep into my relationship. (laughs) I'm very happy to talk about it. Yeah, yeah, thank you. You can feel free to bill me for the session afterwards. (laughs) Um, Yeah, you're getting invoice. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's, there's this thing of, um, I spoke to somebody about that, and I said, I've always kept 20% back that keeps me safe. You know, in life, you know, I've, I've, I moved out of the States when I was very young, um, English parents and everything, but I, I left home when I was 18 and never gone back. And, and so, you know, it, it builds resilience. You know, obviously I've been broken, but, you know, it, it, it can be exhausting. And, and uh, the person I was speaking to said to me, but Matthew, if you're holding 20% back, you're never truly present in that relationship. And I was just like, Phew. You know, you're right, but that twenty percent is is the stuff is the twenty percent that keeps me uh, my your safety blanket, right? And if mm. you throw it away, holy shit! Now I'm really exposed. And <laughs> it, you know, if this person drops the hammer, you know, I'm I'm you know, I'm crushed. So, um, I I sort of I think for me, I probably relinquished a bit more than. Uh, not quite the entire 20, but sort of started to sort of think, go on then give it, you know, I'll open up a bit more. But I think I was a bit, you know, it's like jumping into an ice bath. I wasn't quite ready. So I put my toe in and probably up to my <laughs> knees, but didn't quite go all the way. But I I, uh, I, I think it's, it's a big thing, I would absolutely say, because most people on that call, the Magic Men call, it was most of it, or I'd say pretty much all of it was relationship-based and, and children-based, you know, not having the children around anymore. And I, I'm a firm believer that all any human wants is to love and be loved in its simplest form, you know, that, that that's all we really crave, but there's so much ego and everything else wrapped around it that, you know, we we never really truly surrender. But um, I think I think going back to, to, to James's place and, and your experience and, and what you've taken from it, um, I think like it, we, we touched on the fact that it's probably one of the key drivers is relationships. Um, yeah, that's what we've discovered. Yeah, through our through our evaluation. Is do you have sort of a a, a system? Or, or, you know, sort of say a relationship, right, this is the the first thing you got. You need to do is just, you know, I don't know, what it is, is that something they discuss with you or not really? Or not something you want to discuss? Um, well, I'm not a therapist, so I don't do that work. But um, I know that, so what we do at James's Place is we developed our own intervention, but it's all... It's all evidence-based, so it's not like something we just pulled out of the sky. You know, it's yeah. all evidence-based. But we we realise that men find it really hard to articulate those thoughts and feelings, and they don't really know how to put them into words. So we developed a pack of cards, and and this is our lay your cards on the table intervention. So 
on the packs of on the cards we have thoughts and feelings and kind of coping mechanisms and uh the sort of situation so a card will say uh i've lost my job and then the other card will say i'm not sleeping and then it'll say nobody loves me or i'm a burden to everybody um and so you'll you'll put all these different cards out so the therapist will get a very very clear idea of where you are and what's going on mm. and and so if within that there is something uh related to a relationship breakdown that's going to become very apparent obviously to the therapist and it it means also that the man doesn't have to to speak it because i think sometimes yeah. People feel that when they say something, it becomes so real, and it's like, oh my god, it's out there now. That thing that I've been hiding or storing, hoping it'll yeah. go away, is now is that is out there. So it's out there, but it's it's on a card, and someone else has probably said it too. So you don't have to you don't have to literally own it. Um, you can kind of semi own it if that makes you feel better. And I think the other good thing is, like I was saying earlier, it's so good just to get it out. So so by by sort of putting that card down you've you've got that thought out on the yeah. table it's out of you it's, it's purging not, isn't it it's like yeah and it's purging so that's why when the men you know come to james's place and they've done their first assessment we have to assess them to make sure that they sort of meet the criteria that we have and once they've come for their first session this is what they will go through with the therapist and this is how the therapist will start the journey of giving them back hope and giving them back their lives and i have to say we do have the most wonderful testimonies of the guys who come into us yeah it's really it breaks my heart Every, i mean I'm so happy for them, but it kind of breaks my heart too, you know, because it's just, it's so, it, it's so wonderful, particularly, you know, up in Liverpool where we've got a lot of scouts coming in and they're, you know, they're coming in in their t-shirts and it's midwinter and it's super tough, but they're suffering and, and they, you know, when they speak and they say how much James's place has helped them, um it's i don't know something about men kind of admitting stuff and becoming quite emotional that is just so special because they they put that stoicism to one side and they have actually allowed themselves to to sort of go on this journey of 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 help but i would also say claire that you must underestimate the power of what you've created because you've almost given them a place to be able to do that, which didn't exist before. So I think yeah. I know that James is probably somewhere in the ether and he would be looking down thinking, wow, what an amazing mum I've got. <laughs> well, it's funny when I remember when um, we were starting Liverpool and and that, so we opened our first centre in Liverpool in 2018. And so I was going up from London, I was going up, every week, you know, trying to find a building, trying to get the builders, the architect, the therapist, the centre manager, the whole lot. 
there was a lot going on. And I think there's a picture of me in a, a kind of hard hat and a high vis jacket. And I look absolutely shattered. And um, I remember that I just kept feeling James just on my shoulder saying, go on, mum, go on, just one last push, you know, we'll get there in the end. And he, he, he's been the inspiration, obviously the inspiration for this, um, but he's been there. I've felt him so present and the buildings that we've chosen and the, the, the cities, I mean, Liverpool, James never went to, but he would have absolutely been, he would have loved it. Uh, then there's London and now we're going, we're going to be in Newcastle, which is where he was at uni. And so, yeah, really. Yeah. So, so it's, it's kind of, he's, he's always there and every building is very unique and it's very sort of, you know, we don't, we really take our time choosing the buildings, choosing the environment, creating the environment, um, choosing the centre managers and, and the whole James's Place team is is very is very well thought out, very carefully thought out rather, not well thought out, carefully thought out. So I think James has, he's been the one pushing me because I remember when, when, um, I decided that we were going to turn what was a, a grant giving fund into an operational charity. And I sort of made that decision. I remember one of the, the, the dads that I'd met through, through uh, who'd also lost his son, a, a really special man. And he said, he rang me up and he was much more, um, sort of pragmatic than me I, I can be quite emotive you know driven and he said Claire now have you really thought this through and I said yep he said you know this is going to be a lot of work and it's going to be a very different beast to what you've been doing and I said yep but I said I can't not do it I have to do it there's something somebody pushing me to do this and I have to and yeah James was the driving force and the inspiration and everything for this. Well, then together, it's it's extraordinary what you've achieved. And uh, so, I mean, your learnings again, and, and and having been immersed in this for you know over a decade now, that what do you think the future looks like for men? Because we are in a world where in a Western world, a capitalist society where on the surface it's perceived we have it all, right? Everything's at our fingertips. Yet there's never been more people on antidepressants. There's never been more people committing suicide than there has ever been in human history. So there's something desperately wrong. Something is not working. So what do you think the future looks like? I think the male role has changed a lot. I think that what is expected of men, you've just said it, is is so much more. I mean, the kind of, should we sort of go take ourselves back, say, to the 1950s where the wife was in the house, the man was out at work, she was, you know, cooking dinner and looking after the kids and 
that's all changed mm -hmm. because now, but maybe both of you are out of work because life is now so expensive and both of you are working or um, your husband's working, but he's also meant to share the responsibility of, of life of the kids and some of the domestic chores, you know, it's, it's, it's more complex for men now, I feel. And so it's, a, and also, dare I say it, you know, the Me Too movement makes it more, men are more kind of maybe more vulnerable from that as well. There's a lot has happened, I think, to men in the last probably just 20 years, maybe, some of it, maybe only 10 years. And I think that, that the, that we need to be aware as, as, as women, we need to be very kind of aware of this. And, and, and much as we want, we, we don't want our other halves or our sons or our brothers to get over to, to kind of overwrought with all of this. And I think that there is, that danger that there's just too much expected of you guys. And that's me being, that's my own opinion, but it's also what I witness, what I see and not in my generation, but in generations below, below. Well, as a, as a thought, I think, you know, you're right with all these movements and everybody has a point and everybody, you know, is absolutely entitled to their beliefs but i think rather than creating separation shouldn't we be creating unity yes you know, shouldn't we trying to be closer together not further apart because i don't, i mean honestly i don't think there's any man that would say you know i don't want my wife to be successful i don't want her to have a good job you know i think i think most men would be extraordinarily proud for yes. their wives to be doing well. And they would support that in every which way they could. Um, no matter what that job, whether it be a bricklayer, lawyer, pilot, it doesn't matter. And I think if we can stop trying to push each other away from each other and start creating more unity and kindness, I think that's what breeds a really secure relationship and hopefully, mm -hmm. but I think, you know, egos is probably a lot to blame you know maybe on mm -hmm. both sides you know i don't know but um and i certainly don't have the answers but i do believe that rather than separation if we can concentrate on unity then surely the world's going to be a, a lot closer and warmer yeah i do think to share to be able to share those responsibilities at home is fantastic um it's just how do you do it in a practical way if you're meant to be working super long hours, you know, it's about maybe it, it's, it's a, it's such a big discussion. This, I, yeah, I don't know. Sorry, I, don't, yeah. no, I, I don't mean it like that. No, but I, I think it, it, I do, you know, as I say, I see it, I see it in my, my son's generation and, you know, it's the hours you're expected to work. Uh, very long and it's too long and it's crazy so it's about kind of finding that compromise finding that that place where you can share stuff and but none of neither of you feel kind of overwrought with mm. 
whatever you're doing, whether it's doing something with the kids or it's work. It's it, There's a balance. I guess it's about balance, isn't it? It's about getting that balance right. And also because of the pandemic and because of working from home and everything's changed so much in the last few years. It's a, it's about, okay, how can we do this? How can we work from home? Um, but do our, do our job properly, but then share that with our other halves. And I, I bet some people get it really well, mm. have it really well sorted. But yeah. I think for a lot of people, it's yeah. yeah particularly think... men feel that massive responsibility. I really do think mm. you guys do feel that. And that's maybe historic or cultural. Um, I, I don't know. A bit of both. Bit of both, yeah. I think also, you know, I said love and be loved and unity. I think one of the big things for me is that you feel, I think if you feel the person you're with has got your back, if you fall, they'll catch you, right? Mm. Then you're, I give that person anything, you know, because then you, you've got each other. And if you really know that in your heart, that that person has got you, what a wonderful feeling. I mean, don't let go of that because that's incredible. And I yeah. think that, you know, that's what I strive for is just, you know, be selfless um, and, and be kind and, you know, but have boundaries too. But mm. just, you know, look, out, love the one you're with, right? So, um, <laughs> there's, so a, there's, a, there's a wonderful quote that um, that I that I have have on my phone, um, and it is it's about you're just talking about if you fall, and the quote is "Let me fall if I must fall, the one that I will become will catch me." Oh, I like so that. that's not that's about having your own back, mm. because I think much as you know, we want to rely on others to catch us. Sometimes we have to catch ourselves. Absolutely. Because I think, and I think, you know, all these these lessons, life's lessons and these journeys that, that we're on and everyone has their own lessons and everyone has their own journey. Um, but we have to, we have to grow as human beings just because we're grown ups, it doesn't mean we're growing. So we have to grow, and we have to we have to look after ourselves and, and rely on ourselves before we rely on anybody else. I do think that's important. Really, really important, and, and I'm I'm glad you said that because I've, I, I learned through doing meditation and things like that. How can you be the best version? I've got to always get this wrong, but. Um, <laughs> If you can be the best version, how can you be the best version of you for somebody else if you can't be the best version for you? If you know what I mean, that's not the right way to say it, but do you know what I mean? If, if you can be the best version of you, everybody benefits, right? Relationships, yeah. family, pets, work, everything, you know. But if this doesn't work, if the machine breaks down, it all breaks mm. down around you. So, like you said brilliantly, there is, I think, is, you know, if you can master this and, and, and get your own back. You're not reliant on anyone to cover you. It's it's beautiful in a relationship when you feel that you have that parity and that kindness is 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 very special indeed. But I think also, you know, 
<laughs> it's very easy maybe for us to say, you know, you've got to look after yourself too. Or too. It's like, well, how the hell do I do that? I think it's probably having your tools in the tool chest, right? Whether that be meditation, James's place, uh, you know, a therapist or whatever happens to be your thing, a, a, a great book on spirituality, I don't know, you know, whatever rocks your world. I mean, all those tools help you be stronger. I know that for me, I've had to use many different tools to get me stronger and, you know, feeling extraordinarily positive. So, you know, one of the threads that I run through this entire program and what I've done through the last, well, pretty much all my life, but working life last 25 years is, is the outdoors, you know, um, it's all I've ever known. Um, and I know that it, I feel safe in the middle of nowhere, you know, I mean, yesterday I was halfway up Mont Blanc, uh, and I spent the night up there in this remote, I just found a tent or got a tent and just went off in the middle of nowhere and spent the night. And, um, a lot of friends have looked at me like I'm a nut job, but others, you know, but I see that's, <laughs> you know, that's my, my peace. There's no sound. There's no, it's just the wind. And, you know, uh, it, it, in my mind, um, it's not dangerous because, you know, I have experience but, and knowledge is power, but it really wasn't dangerous. It was just a matter of that's my catching myself, if you like. Yes. If I'm feeling trauma, I need to sort of go and find my peace. And my peace is, I know where my, I find my peace is in the outdoors. And that that's just soul food for me. Um, I get that. I 100% I, I get that. And I think... The other thing about what you said is that uh, you, you're comfortable in your own skin because you're happy to spend time on your own. And I think that's really important as well. I think if we have to learn to like our own company, you know, we have to be comfortable in our own skin and mm. be on our own. Yeah. Well, I haven't always been like that. <laughs> yeah, it's taken a bit no, of work, but yeah. <laughs> and I think... I think you know that's when we when we get to that stage it's it's kind of it's like you know, it's okay I, I'm okay and and I think the outdoors and nature and and sport or whatever you're doing outdoors is mm. just so it, it is so healthy for for body and soul and and I think I said to, I said to you um, when we chatted the other day that one of the things that amazed me after James died was um, how nature played a sort of extraordinary role in my recovery in that when I would, so James is buried um, at the top of the farm where I, where I live in a, in a church just off where I live. And it takes about half an hour to walk up there. And I would walk up there every day it was like a little pilgrimage. And on the way, I would just listen. I just shut my eyes and I'd just listen to the to the wind or I'd I'd just look at the trees and I'd look at the leaves and everything was in glorious technicolor. It was just mm. incredible. There's an amazing story that relates to that is that um, my father died a few years ago now and, and uh, I was very fortunate to be there. Um, and he it was a tumor and he, he went very quickly, but just before he went, um, he said, Matthew, will you take me outside? And, uh, I had to be careful here cause I'll get a bit, 
But I took him outside, and he was a huge outdoor lover and and just loved the wilderness and encouraged us always to be outdoors. And I pushed him um, in the chair outside, and he was just looking at the trees. And and it was sort of a windy but sunny day, and um, not crazy windy, but... And he looked, and he was just smiling. I said, Dad, Dad, what are you looking at? Well, why are you smiling? And um, and he just said, look how beautiful the colors are. Look at the wind. Listen to that. And at that point where everything's here, and he was gone maybe two hours, three hours later, that point, everything was so beautiful. And I, I it's a real big thing for me that I, I, I it's really stuck with me now that what is the point of it all making money living if we don't stop every once in a while and appreciate how how incredibly beautiful life is you know and how precious it is and you said the same thing that you're just walking up to see your son and and you through those forests and and listen watching the trees and the wind and whether it's birds it's just i believe we're all carbon you know we're all from the earth you know, that's why we have when we oh you haven't got enough zinc enough iron you know that's my belief right or wrong I don't know but and that's why I think nobody hates a waterfall nobody hates a sunset right and nobody hates a butterfly I mean these things are incredible and they're just natural feats of nature but we just forget sometimes how extraordinary these things are and I mean I can <laughs> I could go on for weeks about the outdoors and how you know it's, it, for me it's my best friend so. I go off on these trips and disappear up the mountains and stuff, and you know that's that's kind of my therapy now. But and maybe something like the horses is for you too. Yeah, I think they're just so healing. I think animals, nature, and animals are very healing, and they don't animals don't judge you, and they no they just they just love you. We 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 uh, adopted some orphan lambs in lockdown, and. Um, I adopted the runt, which was a sort of scrawny, Amazing. ugly little, oh. ugly little thing. And everyone was like, "Why have you adopted the runt? I mean, it's not going to live." Well, let me tell you that Runty, as I called her, <laughs> Runty's still alive, <laughs> and um, has had her own lambs. Oh wow! And Brilliant. My my bond with this lamb sheep was just I absolutely adored this. Little lamb. They used to come into the house. They'd sit on the outdoor furniture. They were, but there was something <laughs> not only very funny about it, but there was just something so kind of comforting and so special. There's something so special about animals. So yeah, I love animals. I think there's something really interesting in that as well. That that an animals sometimes we're our own worst enemy, and I'd say this potentially to the listeners as well that I know I can be is that you can kind of excuse my French disappear up your own ass a bit because you've got to get out of your own way and if you've got an animal or some a, a distraction sometimes that is just all you need is to because you overthink right you think and then you're thinking about worrying so god I'm really worried and then you start to worry about that then you're worrying about being worried and then you just think oh my god my life's a car crash I'll go and have a drink or I'll go to you know it's just like but if a dog's sitting it there just it doesn't care if you're in a wheelchair or you can't talk or whatever it just is is there any chance you can throw the ball and it just is enough to sort of get you out the door and you know for, so and I'm seriously thinking, I mean I've I've um I've had dogs and I love dogs and I travel a lot but I um 
I, I'm seriously thinking about getting a, a, another dog, and just because I think it's, you know, I couldn't imagine anything better than being up the mountain with the the wolf. You know, it'd be great. Yeah, you must. So I think there you go, nature, and and get yourself an animal, maybe a a, a runty <laughs> or a dog. A you know. <laughs> but I, uh, I so so you know. Um, St. James's Place is 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 um, St. James's Place. James's Place is rock and rolling right now, and yeah. you know, so you've treated over fifteen hundred men, you've delivered over seven thousand five hundred therapy sessions. You're in London, Liverpool, Birmingham, Bristol, Newcastle, all opening over the next three years. Wow, just what an extraordinary woman! I mean, I, I am. I, I think anybody. Well, I haven't done it on my own. Well, no, of course, it's all about a team. Absolutely, it's about a team and my ex-husband and the family and everyone's, everyone's played their part. I think it was. I think where I came, I come in, or is that it was in my heart. It was this vision for James's place was in my heart and it was in my head, and. I guess I took that and made it, I made it happen. Well, I had the conviction of my own, you know. I think you're allowed to whatever. own that, you know. I, uh, thank you. Yeah. But, well, it, it, but there is an incredible team yes. now and, and they are just outstanding. And I remember somebody saying to me, Claire, do you think you'll suffer from Fanders syndrome? And I said, well, tell me, what is founder no, syndrome? I don't know that one. Said, What's that one? No, they said that's when you, you know, you, you create something and you found, you, you found it and then you have to kind of let go of the reins. And I said, oh, no, I'm so happy to hand over the reins now. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of done with, with all this kind you of. You've got runty and horses to look after. Come on. I've got the runty and the horses to look after. And, and I, so for me, it was, I, I, it was so incredible to find people who shared that passion because mm. it's one thing if you have that passion because of events and and our story that's a, there's a reason to to create this but then to find people who share that passion and um are running james's place and mm. and and working and saving lives every day it's just it's for me that's just the ultimate i i actually have to pinch myself I can't believe how far we've come. Yeah, I'm well, so it, proud of of everyone who's who's there and working and and um, and it definitely isn't St James's Place. James was no saint, let me tell you. <laughs> he was he was a well, yeah. He wasn't. I can't canonize my son. I love him dearly, but he wasn't a saint. But he was just. Yeah. Well, boys are all rascals, really, aren't we? We're just, boys uh, are rascals. Yeah, yeah they yeah. certainly are. We'll we'll wear that one. We'll take it. <laughs> but I, I agree with you. Like a team, you know, I've got Paul out here, which I, there's no way I could do this without him. I've got uh, Sharon, who who is my wingwoman, who is just uh, unbelievably spiritual, mindful, and just uh, just an extraordinarily brilliant woman who's just been an absolute rock for me and we're just a micro dot at the moment but we we, we dream big and and you know just it's all about helping others and and that's really exciting for us oh. yeah, and 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 matthew a bit like me you've you've had your own journey and you're turning that into something to help others so it's there's a reason why you're doing this and there's 
there's somebody perhaps pushing you on your back to saying, come on, let's take this one step further. So very much so. And and I I believe it's uh, more than likely my father. And um, Mm. so, yeah, he'll join me on the journey for sure. Um, (laughs) So at the end of every podcast, I sort of say to the guest, could you give me three things that are free, easy to access, and rewarding. So I've listened to a lot of podcasts over the times, and some of them are great. And um, but generally, I find I leave, and I think there was such so much information. My God, I you know, hang on, I have to listen to it again. I can't, you know. But if there's three little nuggets that somebody could take away, so if somebody was listening to this and maybe they're in a bit of despair, maybe they're a bit depressed, maybe they're just intrigued. Um, but if there were three things that you've, from your learnings over over a decade um, in working in the area that you work in, that are free, easy access, easy to access, and rewarding, what what would those three things be? Do you think? I think the first one would be know that you are loved and truly loved, and know that the people that love you. could never imagine life without you. So I think for me, that's, that set me off. Uh, for me, that's Sorry. something I, <laughs> I believe so strongly. You know, we are all loved. Sometimes we don't feel loved, but we are all loved and hugely loved. Um, and I think we need to take that on board and believe in it, even when there are days when stuff happens and, and, and that belief falters so know that you're loved and and know that those who love you could never imagine life without you so that would be my first one i think the other one is and i guess this is a word that seems to be used a lot but it's so important is kindness be kind to people it costs nothing to be kind it costs nothing to ask somebody how they are um, how they're feeling and and on the kind of flip side of that if somebody is kind enough to ask you how you are and actually mean it rather than just saying oh how are you and then sort of going on to the next thing tell them how how you are but be honest just don't say oh i'm great yeah i'm fine when you're not yeah just say if excuse my French, but if you're feeling like shit, tell them. Yeah. Say, actually, I'm, 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 I'm feeling like shit. I'm going through a really rough time. And, and you'll be amazed at how that person will be able to help you. So open up and be honest and share, share stuff with people, trust people, even though sometimes we don't think we can. So that's two <laughs> no pressure. And I guess I guess my third is just that life is precious. And you know, don't take it for granted. Life is precious. Every day is pre- precious. And and seize the day and find something in every day that you can I don't know, that's that's positive that you can treasure that is special to that day and don't waste your days 
I mean, I, I'm, I really feel strongly about that. You know, we're so blessed to be alive and to, you know, look after our health. But, yeah, live your life. Enjoy your life. Because be kind and love people, I guess. I guess that's it. Oh, well, I, probably three <laughs> most profoundly simple but powerful Very simple. statements. And I think we don't do it enough, enough of any of them. Claire, um, thank you so, so much for sharing your story and your wealth of knowledge. Um, you're an absolute inspiration, certainly for me, and I know a lot of people will get a lot of a lot of greatness from this and i i know james is is floating somewhere up there and he's probably hanging out with dad <laughs> at the moment having a chuckle at us you know i should think so and, uh, getting up to no good probably. yeah probably that's not my dad too he's a little rascal doesn't stop with age i tell you um, but you're 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 an amazing amazing woman and um and i i just sort of uh i mean uh just in awe of actually of it all i think it's it's amazing and i really really appreciate your time and taking the time to to speak to me i know everybody that's listening to this will really appreciate it too good well thank you so much for inviting me oh. to chat chat with you and um uh i just wish you the best with what you're doing as well thank you very and much and enjoy enjoy those those walks up the mountains and pitching your tent yeah. and taking your dog with you. And um, I'm sure we will we'll meet again very soon. I look forward to that. I'm going to go and find a runty now. <laughs> go and find a runty. <laughs> It'll Brilliant. change your life. There you go. Brilliant. <laughs> All right, lovely. Thanks well, so thank much. You very, very much. Thank you so much for listening. I'm really excited to say we have an amazing array of guests joining us over the series. So please subscribe if you enjoyed the podcast. And if you know anyone that may be struggling, please pay it forward and share this podcast with them. See you next time.